from the first 10 verses of the fourth chapter of 1 John. Pastor's message this morning is entitled, The Father's Gift of Love. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already it is in the world. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world, therefore they speak of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God, he that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and every one that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Amen. I hope that we have an opportunity to make this confession together, and I think we will. The Nicene Creed says this of God, that we believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. He spoke through the prophets. And this Advent season, at least for three Sundays, Lord's Days of it, I want to bring to your attention our God. And I believe it's appropriate. We usually consider, especially in this time of year, the person of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the center. It is his birth that we celebrate. But this year, I want us to consider... How God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, each acting with one purpose, even as they are one, demonstrated the glory of God in bringing the Messiah, Jesus, into the world and in the coming of him into the world. As the incarnation of Christ is central to God's redemptive plan, Perhaps we need to be reminded of this truth regarding the Godhead, is that the Father has planned our redemption, the Son accomplished everything for our redemption, 
and the Holy Spirit applies our redemption. In fact, we cannot think about anything concerning God and the way that he works, either in creation or in redemption, without Trinitarian terms. We must see the Father working. We must see or planning. We must see the Son fulfilling and the Holy Spirit applying. And today I want to consider this enormous topic, an impossible topic for me to preach on in one sermon. A year, a lifetime. This cannot be exhausted. This is about the Father's love. But Christmas gives us a good opportunity, doesn't it? It gives us a good opportunity because in this season, we see what love looks like. In essence, what love is. So often we think of love and we think of Christ and we don't think of the Father when we think of love. And I would argue this morning that it is indeed the Father's love that we should be observing first and foremost when we think about Christmas. The two questions I have this morning for us, the first is this, why did the Father send his Son into the world? Why did he? God is complete in himself. He is absolutely complete. He's lacking nothing in and of himself. He is perfect in all of his attributes. He is perfectly content in the relationship that he has, glorifying himself in the Father and the Son and in the Holy Ghost. Each person of the triune God works perfectly in relationship with one another to supply him with perfect happiness. He is in need of nothing. He doesn't need People to keep him company? Angels? He's not bored with himself? He lacks nothing. And if you add to that that men and women are sinful, that question becomes all the more difficult to answer. Why did he send his son into the world? First of all, he didn't need to send his son into the world for judgment, did he? He didn't need to give his son in order to judge the world. He could do that without his son. In fact, John 3.17, he did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Contrarily, he sent him so that the world might be saved through him. He did not send the world, he did not send his son to the world to teach the world how to save itself. So many espouse this idea that Jesus is this great example that if we would just look at him as an example, then we would know how to save ourselves. To the contrary, contrary, it is the coming of Christ, it is the coming of the Son of God that demonstrates that we cannot be saved without God's intervention for our sin. We deserve judgment, and our sin needed to be dealt with. 
There are other answers to that question, good answers and right answers concerning our salvation, and we'll touch on that. But this is the answer that I want to consider this morning to that first question. The Father sent his Son into the world to make his glory known by that supreme demonstration of love. What is that supreme demonstration of love? Sending his Son. The giving of his Son. This is a hard topic for me because I have two sons. And my first thought is always this, I wouldn't give them for one sinner. I would not give my sons for any sinner. But this is why, isn't it, that 1 John 4, 9 says, In this the love of God is manifest. We have to come to this season as believers really believing that this is true. That this is... This is not a story, it's not a myth to empower the human spirit. That's not the way that the Bible displays its truth. This is history. This is God coming to us, being given by the Father. And by that, His love is manifest, it's made known, it's shown that God sent His only Son into the world. That only son correlates with what Isaac is spoken of in response or in regards to Abraham. Isaac was not the only son of Abraham. And yet that same Greek construction is used to define Isaac as the only son of Abraham. Why? Because it's the only son whom God has gifted with promise. And indeed, this is the only son in eternity that God knows. He is perfect. And God has enjoyed his son forever. Has shared his glory with him. Has poured out his love upon him. In eternity, forever. And here, in some point in time, he sends him. And in sending him, he has displayed love so that we might live through him. The love of God is demonstrated most profoundly in history in the giving of his son without any, without any shadow of doubt. He displayed his love certainly to the people of Israel. Certainly his grace and his mercy poured out upon them, undeserving as they were for it constantly hardening themselves to it, and yet he persevered and he pursued them and he wouldn't put them away altogether and he promised that he'd save a remnant of them. 
But that pales in comparison, and actually that foreshadows what he was planning to do all along in the giving of his son. First of all, we see the love of God demonstrated in history in the incarnation of Christ. That God the Son became flesh and dwelt among us. Galatians 4.4 says, This happened in the perfect time, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law. And this verse teaches us that the Father's plan all along was to send his Son into the world, and only the sending was in God's perfect time. And as I've said, the Old Testament foreshadows and foretells of the coming Messiah. But it was in that fullness of time, the pleroma of God, hidden in his own purposes, in his secret counsels, that he was going to display the love that he had, his love to the world in sending his son. And as he did it, he did it in the most obscure ways, didn't he? born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem. And we know what that means, redeem. To redeem means that cross work that Christ paid. So that when we look at the sending of the Son, we can't absolutely separate the incarnation of Christ from his work of redemption. You can't do it. When God gave his son, he gave him for the whole process of redemption. The virgin birth, the perfect life, the atoning sacrifice, everything was God's plan and it was all him giving his son to complete it. Romans 5.8 talks about the love of God which was demonstrated in that love while we were yet in our sin. Christ died for us. This morning, the answer to why God loves you enough to send his son for you does not lie in yourself. It's when you were a sinner, Christ died for you. It's not that he saw that you were doing good in your homework and you were obeying your parents and you had returned the thing you stole. And so he saw that good thing that you did in of yourself. And so he decided then, well, that person is worthy of my love. Then I'll show them my love. It's while you were in your sin. And this was his plan. There is no greater cost than your and my redemption. And there was no greater paying payment than the life of the Son of God, the life of Christ. And so too is there no greater love because the Father gave him for that end. He didn't just give him to be born in a humble stable around shepherds and animals. That's not how low Christ went. That's low. But the lowest, the humility of the cross, is ultimately where the Father sent him. 
comprising the entirety of the Father's gift of the Son, perhaps there is no more profound verse in all of Scripture than the verse that we're probably most familiar with in all of Scripture, John 3.16. You cannot get more profound than that verse. For God so loved the world, he loved the world in this way, that he sent his only begotten, his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. It gets no more profound for love than that. The love of God is displayed and it is shown and it is revealed in that he gave his only son. And that verse can't be deeply appreciated. It can't be appreciated if we're not that in that big a trouble. If there's not a real great need for us. If we're all just doing okay, then the incarnation and the death of Christ is all just some example that we can take or leave. It really has no bearing on us whatsoever. And we won't respond to it with gratitude. Why do we need him? Why did he go through that length? Such lengths. But this is the display of God. How deep the Father's love for us indeed. For every Christian we feel that way, don't we? Because we know that we are sinful. And we know that before a holy God, we don't deserve an ounce of his love. We have to think about the the love of God right. We have to think not that God loves such that love compels God to do what he otherwise doesn't want to do. In other words, that love is some kind of prevailing emotion in God that he can't control that just compels him to do otherwise than what he would. We need to hold a biblical view of the love of the Father and that he chose to show love. God is love and he chose by grace to show it on those who didn't deserve it. The Father's love is an agreement with his freedom so that it is he who loves and him who wills to love us. He doesn't have to show grace. That would defeat grace. It would not be grace if he was compelled to show it. He chose to show it. He loves whom he wills, and he demonstrates love as he wills. What does that mean? That means that when we realize his love, how should we respond but in reverent worship to him? This is a love spoken of in Deuteronomy 7, 7, and 8. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord said his love set his love on you and chose you, speaking to Israel. It's not because you were special in any human sense of the word. Even if you look today at the nation of Israel, this little sliver in in the land of Palestine, and you realize that they came from a heritage of Abraham who was from the Ur of the Chaldees, which is a pagan society, who God called this pagan out of paganism 
and told him, I'm going to make of you a great nation. It was a promise. It was a gift. It was grace that came out of nothing. It just came out of God's good pleasure. His love that he had chosen to display upon Israel is the same love that he chooses to display to the world in sending his son. No more limiting it to just one ethnic or one people group. And that brings us to the second question, who are the objects of the Father's love? And the first object we can't forget is the Son. The Son is the first object of the Father's love. It would be good for us to remember this, is that Christmas is in the first place about glorifying God in the face of Christ Jesus. The Father did not give His Son because He didn't love Him. The Father so loved His Son that He appointed that He would take on Him human flesh and redeem His beloved people from their sin so that in them Jesus would be magnified and worshipped and adored by them as the only Savior, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Father having given him a name which is above every name. The Father delights that his Son would be adored and worshipped as the expression of the love of God. The Father loves his Son in eternity and never cease to love him. Jesus said in his high priestly prayer, John 17, 26, I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. That love with which you have loved me, speaking of the Father's love for him, is born out in the context of eternity. It's the same as the glory that he had with the Father from the beginning from the foundation before the world was made. Secondly, God loves a world of sinful people. Isn't that exactly what John 3.16 says? God so loved the world in this way that he gave his only begotten son. It doesn't mean real estate merely. God does love the works of his hands. He looked at on everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. And we know that nature groans because of our sin. But God sent his son to become a man to redeem men. Sinful human beings. And in his redeeming of the sinner, he accomplishes the redemption of creation. There's three biblical considerations concerning the Father's love for sinners in light of the gift of his Son. First, he loves every nation, Jew and Gentile alike. And that is so important. And the New Testament fleshes that out so completely. But we don't have to even go further than the narrative of the birth of Christ to see it. Here's the doxology of Simeon who waited to see the glory of God, the Messiah, in Luke 2, 29 through 32, here is Simeon, full of the Holy Spirit, glorifying God. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, 
that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. What is he saying here? He's saying you have appointed a time where Israel is under the jurisdiction of Rome. Rome was a picture of all the nations. All the nations came to Rome. And here, now in Palestine, are all the nations gathered together. Literally, they have come to Rome. And then here is Israel. And here is the display of God's redeeming the world because his son has come at that appointed time. If Christ would have come during David's time, all that was there was Israel. They were the great kingdom. And now God appointed that Christ would come when Jerusalem is under the jurisdiction of Rome and Romans and all other uh, Persians and Babylonians and Greeks and all of them are around in the surrounding areas such that God, when he brings his son into the world, is showing this is for you, Gentile and Jews. Secondly, he loves the great and he loves the lowly. Don't we see at the scene of the manger these wise men, these magi coming with gifts of gold and myrrh and frankincense? These great men that went before kings come and kneel before the king of kings as he is laid in a manger and give honor to him and give glory to him. But didn't he also come to a lowly woman named Mary? who couldn't go before kings. Mary says of herself in the Magnificat, Luke 1, 46 through 48, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. And this is what a soul that magnifies the Lord looks like. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on my humble estate the humble estate of his servant. God does not leave off the lowly. The love of the Father has been poured out upon much of the face of the whole earth here 2,000 years since the birth of Christ. Kings and paupers, the song says sons and daughters, everyone has come the vast array of worth in human terms have come to Christ. And here we are in Hawaii, on literally the other side of the globe, from where this all started, giving praise and worshiping God for the love that he displayed in sending and giving his son. Third, God loves especially those whom he foreknew. He displays his love to the world and his son. He gave him for the sake of showing and demonstrating his love to the world. But just as Israel was particularly loved by God as his covenant people, so too is it with God's covenant people, the church, his elect in the New Testament. Listen again to these narratives, to this narrative of the, the earliest moments the earliest prophetic utterance before Christ came, she will bear a son in Matthew 1.21, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people 
from their sins. Jesus' own words clarifies what this means in relationships to the Father's particular unending love for those whom he has sent Jesus to bring from the world into his presence. John 6, 7, 37 through 40. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. This is the whosoever comes. He will never cast them out. And those are those who God the Father gives to his Son. For I have come down from heaven. This is the sending of his Son. Not to do my own will, but of the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. This is the accomplishment of God's love for his people. He will lose none of them. Verse 40, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And then verse 44, No one can come unto me unless the Father who sent me. This is the love speaking. This is the same love language. He sent me. He who sent me draws them to me. And those I will raise up on the last day. In no uncertain terms, Jesus came to save all whom the Father appointed for him to save. And therein lies the certainty of our salvation. God's particular love for his sheep. My sheep hear my voice and they know me and they follow me. And they will never perish. Do you, do you have a sense of that? And now that sense can never be coupled with, yeah, and I deserved it. <laughs> what did I do for it? The answer is nothing. It, it goes back to where God loved us when we were still in our sin. It's not because of righteous works that we have done that God has loved us. It's only in his son. It's only because of the love that he has decided to outpour upon us. Romans 8:29, it's in our bulletin. I didn't plan to put it there. For those whom he foreknew, that could be translated for loved. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. That is an unbroken, unbreakable expression of God's love. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, he gave him up for us all? How Shall he with him not also freely give us all things? That's the King James. I'm just quoting that. For I am sure, in verse 38, that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is a sense, then, that the sending of God's 
uh, the Son into the world by the Father is a demonstration for everyone without exception. This is why we go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. God so loved the world. That is true. But to the reprobate, to the unbeliever, they do not glorify God because of his love. They will not. Because they do not receive it. You, you realize that God has demonstrated his love in sending his son in no uncertain terms to everyone. But not everybody receives that. Not everybody will. Christ said not everybody can come to me unless the father draws them. That is, they won't, they will not receive Christ. This is lamentable, isn't it? Isn't it? The same love that we want to scream out in praise to God for. Those who reject Christ reject that same love. This is just the point of it all, isn't it? Since Christ is the perfect demonstration of the Father, he has perfectly revealed the Father. He said, if you do not believe me, you do not know the Father. If you don't know me, you don't know him who sent me. Christ is in himself the expression of the love of God. There is no saying that God is love without receiving his Son. He, in, in a sense, is the love of God in human form. To reject Christ is to reject God's love and not to give him glory for it. John 5, 42 and 43 says this, But I know that you do not have the love of God within you. And then he says this, I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. How did he know that they didn't have the love of God in them? That they didn't love God? They didn't receive him. This is the urgency this morning. This is the Christmas gift that must be received. If we're going to talk about God as love, you have to receive Christ. There is no other expression. There is no other way that we can respond to his love and say, I receive his love. If you reject Christ, you reject the love of Christ, the love of God, the Father. You reject his gift, you reject his love. That's a sobering reality. That's a biblical reality. And I urge you, if you think of anything in Christmas this year, receive the gift of God's Son. If you receive nothing else, receive that. Be happy. Rejoice. That's the song, right? 
Rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel has ransomed captive Israel. He has come. That's all this. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. That's it. That's what we're rejoicing of. But when you are doing that, you are expressing then thanks to God for his inexpressible gift of love. We love to talk about love. But love, the love of God, is personified, literally, in the person of Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift.